0: Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. It's not even Friday, and you are watching AM to DM. Everyone woke up to this ellipses and hyphen-filled, and I think he meant to use m dashes there,
1: tweet from Joe Biden. The core values of this nation are standing in the world, our very democracy, everything that has made America... America is at stake. That's why today I'm announcing my candidacy for president of the United States.
0: Okay, let me just get right in front of this by saying, there is nothing Joe Biden could do at this point that would not irritate Mm. me. I'm not going to pretend to feel otherwise. Mm. That being said, yeah, man, listen, this tweet is annoying as hell.
1: There's a lot of things that you don't love, right? This is ticking a lot of. Said gets annoyed. You might not know this about Saeed. He actually he's very into proper grammar use in tweets. you're really against a lot of
0: ellipses. I just, I know, like his whole thing. I'm an uncle. I'm a hugger. Thing is really important to him. Like the Joe and his logo. We don't get to that. Yeah, we will. Um, It's his whole thing. But you don't have to tweet like you're all of our uncles. (laughs) You know, (laughs) the only thing will be a little better is if he signed all of, like, (laughs) initialled all of his tweets like our uncles do with his initials at the end. And you're like, it's a text message, unchi. I know it's you.
1: Here's the thing. It's not just the tweet. That was linked to a video. Um, the video if I was to describe the vibe of the video it's very make America great again dot 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 again <laughs> like that seems to be the argument that Joe is going with here there was a lot of imagery of Charlottesville uh, which seemed like a choice and here's I'm gonna say this right up watching that video I feel I felt this morning as I was as I was watching I felt like if this was an announcement of him saying you know what I'm not going to run for president. I feel like there's a lot of great candidates out there. The rising threat of the alt-right and Nazism in this country is something that I want to battle. So I'm starting Joe's anti-racist nonprofit. I'd be like, okay, not a bad video there. I get the messaging here. But as a point for running for president, it feels like he's using kind of an old
0: playbook. Yeah. Also- Even that, even if he was going to say, like, I'm taking up, like, anti-racist efforts as a cause, I'd be like, no, because that doesn't line up with your record. Just because you were a black man's vice president does not mean you are an authority on, like, how we deal with race in America. Mm. Like, I'm sorry, but when Mm. we think of Joe Biden and policies and decisions Mm. he's made, Mm. shout out to Anita Hill, Mm. I don't think we think of, yeah, he's actually really led the way in thinking about race and diversity in this country. So I just think it's odd. I think he— just as he is willfully forcing himself onto the 2020, I feel like he's forcing himself into the narrative of Charlottesville. Mm. He's from Pennsylvania. It's not like it's his. It's not well, like actually Virginia. from
1: D- Delaware. Oh,
0: listen to that. But he
1: does it represents Pennsylvania. Yeah, he does a lot of Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's he's not thinking.
0: like like if this maybe if it was something that had happened in Scranton mm. or or Pittsburgh or something, mm. which something did happen, that would make a little bit more sense. But it's just it's just a weird choice. It's irritating. I didn't appreciate waking yeah, up to. Yeah, yeah, you're really. you guys like the end of that Black Klansmen. I'm like, what? That
1: ruined your morning. Uh, no word on Stacey Abrams. I will say that a lot of people were kind of looking to see if she was going to get involved. He was talking or like floating the idea of announcing early with her as the VP. That has not happened. Also, no word really from Obama except for a couple of quotes that basically, to sum them up, are like, I'm sitting it out for a little bit.
0: I feel like Obama's statement was like, Yeah, I know him. <laughs> do, you, do you feel, but this is going to have an impact? Like, oh, it absolutely. I, I wonder, I wonder who was, besides me, mm. I wonder who amongst the 50,000 other white people also running for president was most irritated this morning, right? Because he's going to impact... Someone's constituency, mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. fundraising and all that. I, I wonder who, like, if Bernie Sanders was like, God damn it, this is the last thing I, I was supposed to be the old white guy. Anyway, let's take it to the timeline. What impact do you think Joe Biden is going to have on the race? Like, how is he going to shake things up? Or is he, you know, just another drop in the overfilled, mostly Caucasian bucket? <laughs> I'm not trying no, to erase, you know, us the black no using the hashtag The damn. erasure. Here. All
1: right, but we do want to talk to somebody who knows a little bit more than us. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News White House reporter Tarini Party. Good morning, Tarini.
2: Good morning, guys. Okay, so the
1: announcement everybody knew was coming is finally here. To Saeed's point, which Dem candidates are the most upset this morning by Joe throwing his hat in the ring?
2: Yeah. So as you guys said, this was something that was expected. You know, it's not like these candidates woke up this morning and were all of a sudden like, oh, my God, Joe Biden is running. They, they've kind of been prepping for this. So, uh, you know, he's going to impact most of these candidates because he's going to start off as the front runner. He has the name ID. He has the connections to Democratic donors, the establishment. So, you know, he brings a lot uh, in terms of uh, just having uh, the credentials, um, having run for president so many times before. He has sort of that experience that he's going to bring to the table and threaten a lot of uh, these candidates' constituencies in, in different ways for different candidates.
0: As I was on my, ho- on my way home yesterday, I saw via Twitter that Governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, uh, has endorsed uh, Biden, which I guess I was like, what, why, huh? This is kind of weird. I understand he's also gotten a lot of other prominent endorsements. What are some of those?
2: Right, so he already has uh, endorsements from three senators: uh, Senator Bob Casey, Chris Coons, and Doug Jones. Uh, the one endorsement that everyone was watching, which um, you know you guys talked about a little bit earlier, was not quite an endorsement. Was from President Obama. He said some nice words, but uh, is you know sitting out. But his endorsement endorsement will obviously be the one that that matters the most, and it, he clearly is not ready to endorse Joe Biden just yet.
1: Yeah, Joe's ready to endorse him, though I will say that logo, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But it's, there's a big O in the middle of it. There's a lot of round, Red slick Joe. Joe Biden's done a lot of round O's in a lot of the imagery that he's chosen. But first, I just I just want to ask Trini, as, as as somebody that covers the White House, as somebody that covers politics, what do you think of Joe Biden's choice to lean in so hard on Charlottesville?
2: It was definitely an interesting choice. We've seen the other candidates talk about more of their, you know, biography, their, the issues that they want to focus on in their announcement videos. But I think the calculation that Biden's team made is that people already sort of know him. They've heard about him for many, many years. Uh, and so the strength that they see uh, with Joe Biden is his leadership and his uh, experience, you know, being vice president, um, having uh, top roles in the Senate for decades. So I think the calculation they made was to sort of lean into that leadership side and using Charlottesville, um, you know, and the imagery around that as a way to talk about the need for new leadership in the country. Obviously, you know, uh, as you guys talked about earlier on the show, um, you know, it might rub some people the wrong way but um, he's using that, uh, that, you know, horrific incident um, for his announcement video. Um, but I, I think what they were going for is to focus on the leadership um, side of, of um, his qualities as a strength. Hmm.
0: Well, let's talk about that logo, <laughs> dude, dude, dude. Like, what's the point there? I mean, I, I genuinely thought it was interesting that yeah, there we go. Uh, of course, Biden president, but the significance of Joe. You really hate Joe. I was, I was brought, drawn in by the O and the, the Obama ness of it. You just hate that it's Joe. Oh my like, nigga, this ain't a coffee shop. <laughs> I hate it. But but that seems intentional. Like Joe. First name basis, right? And he's, he's spoken so much about like an affectionate, I think he said, like approach to politics, being very down to earth. Is that just something he's going to continue to double down on?
2: That, it definitely seems so from the, the logo, you know, the Uncle Joe sort of element of it. And then also, as Isaac said, the, the O's are, I thought they were pretty distracting too. Instead of, you know, using the zeros, they're using O's. He's already been calling himself an Obama Biden Democrat, so I think you know there is uh, there's a reason for for all those O's in there.
3: I, I like the
0: idea. he's like Obama, and Obama's kind of like that. You do stop. <laughs> he's like, oh well, you can't stop me from using O.
1: I here's, got one too. Here's the thing: we are we are critiquing a lot. I will say overall, especially the Biden with the with the three lines for the E. I'll say I, I think that's a pretty good logo. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't hate I, the. Biden. I've seen worse. But Joe that. kind of remind it reminds me of Jeb. But sorry,
0: I'm talking too much about the logo. (laughs) We're obsessed. Anyway, here's a tweet from Michael Schmidt of the New York Times. Trump wanted to fulfill his campaign promise to lock her up. Uh, He tried three times to pressure Jeff Sessions, remember him, Uh, into prosecuting Hillary Clinton. The episodes are unique because they show Trump going on the offensive to target a rival. And then this sentence is quite something. No president since Nixon is known to have attempted this. Mm. Okay, so... I guess this is interesting insight to something we've long suspected. Um, What did we learn about how Trump pressured Jeff Sessions um, on Hillary Clinton?
2: So we learned some specific incidents from uh, the Mueller report and the New York Times is reporting on this that gave us sort of a behind-the-scenes look at the Sessions-Trump relationship beyond just the tweets that we had gotten so used to seeing. Um, The president repeatedly directed him um, to open up an investigation into Hillary Clinton. He kept, um, you know, now that the president is talking more about um, investigate the investigators. Apparently, this has been going on for a while. He wanted uh, Jeff Sessions to unrecuse himself. Um, so we learned more about that. But um, what we also learned is that Jeff Sessions, there's no evidence that Jeff Sessions actually a- acted on um, any of those uh, directives from the president.
1: Mm. is it safe to say because there's that does seem to be one of the bigger stories out of the Mueller report right is Trump kind of telling people to do things right. and then being like yeah man got it right walk, on it. walking out of the office and being like absolutely <laughs> not um, that seems like one of the largest things is 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 it safe to say that uh, what am I trying to say that, that like that's something that's gonna deeply anger Trump to kind of recognize that all these people around him weren't listening to him. Hmm.
2: I, I think that is part of the reason why we're seeing he's, he's watching cable news cover it exactly in, with that sort of narrative that you're talking about. And it's frustrating him because it makes it look like he doesn't know what he's doing and his staff is not following his orders, um, you know, a, a portrayal of, of the president that he is not happy with. But the, the fact that um, his aides did not actually act on many of his directives actually did end up protecting him is what we learned from the Mueller report. You know, because they didn't, you know, fire Mueller, they didn't, uh, Jeff Sessions didn't unrecuse himself. It actually ended up protecting the the president from uh, potential legal issues.
0: Okay. And to that point, um, what does the article from the New York Times reveal about Trump's interactions with Don McGahn, who we've also been hearing a lot about since uh, the Mueller report came out?
2: We've been hearing, you're right, a lot about Don McGahn. He was obviously a key uh, person for uh, Robert Miller's team in terms of learning uh, the behind the scenes stuff, um, how the president uh, was dealing with the Russia investigation. Uh, what we learned is that uh, the president actually directed Don McGahn to ask the Department of Justice to prosecute Hillary Clinton and James Comey. This is not something that McGahn did, um, like many of the other things it seems that he was asked to do by the president. Um, But yeah, this was just another revelation that came out of the report.
1: All right. This morning, we are talking Biden. We are talking Trump. We are mentioning Obama. Hillary. Really just bringing it back. It never So I got to ask about this too. (laughs) I saw Hillary's name on the timeline a lot yesterday. Wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post. What was going on there?
2: Right. I forget what year it is these days, uh, given the names that keep coming up. But it will always be 2016, it seems. And Hillary, Hillary Clinton wrote an op-ed for The Washington Post essentially addressing the Mueller report and how, uh, how uh, Democrats should respond to it. She basically said that, uh, you know, this is a very serious thing um, that's going on. And the, the things that we learned from the, from the Mueller report, um, you know, we need to keep the focus on. Uh, the issues that came up rather than talk about it in a partisan way. Democrats in Congress need to learn more, need, get, need to get people to testify um, on some of the things that we learned. So um, she basically said, yes, this is personal for me, but Congress and Democrats need to act and get more uh, information on this.
1: Yeah, it seemed like she said it, it, it sh- we should take it a little more seriously. It, is it safe to say, I just want to say, it seemed like it made a bigger impact. Like it, it wasn't just her preaching in the choir. I saw people on the timeline who maybe didn't, Totally support Hillary saying, hey, there's some really good points in here. Is it safe to say that?
2: I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, people did take it more seriously. And I think part of the reason why is because she acknowledged up front that, you know, I clearly am biased here. Um, This directly affected me. Uh, This is personal for me. But and then went ahead and, and kind of made her point. So I think that was helpful that she was honest about that up front.
1: Honest and straightforward. Well, listen, speaking of transparency, Torini, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit to say this, but today is going to be the last time we will see you on the show. And we just wanted to give you our thanks and wish you the best of luck on what's next. Let's give a round
3: of applause for Tarini. Come
1: on.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. It's it- been so fun to be, you know, part of this show and Bring you the not so cheery news from DC a couple of times a week. So thank you so much.
1: You're not going to break news. You're not going to tell us what's next on live it's on so air. Amazing. I got to
2: try. It's my job. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, but I, I will have a new job in about two weeks. So I will keep covering politics and you know, you'll, you'll still see uh, my reporting.
0: Well, Tarini, I do have to say, it's no small thing when talking about politics and certainly White House politics for the last two years that we've been doing this show, it has been wonderful that you've been the voice of clarity as we wade through it. Thank you, Tarini.
2: Thanks so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try not to cry. <laughs> okay, don't cry. Don't cry.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Akers. Have a great like day. It's almost it's right there, man. <laughs> cut,
1: if cut, if cut, we We've gone just stop, a little further.
0: Stop it. All, right. All right. <laughs> right. We've got another great show for you today. Elijah Wood and his beautiful blue eyes hey. will make another appearance on the screen. Yeah, he's back. He's we back. we got return guests. All right. All right. And up next is Fire Tweets. <laughs> you trying to make me cry. <laughs> All right, welcome back. Let's get into these fire tweets. Children, this first tweet comes from the icon, country icon, Lil Nas X. You tweeted, Y'all be threatening to post my nudes like I am ashamed of this blessing. (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's something even funnier. One of the replies to this tweet was, He's got four forces in the front, too. What? (laughs) He's got... Horses at the front. Horses the front. Just let you work with that. That is so funny. I'm just saying that is the
1: way to deal with it, though. I just you gotta just Jeff Bezos. Let her. Just- oh stop. Those dudes are for. Nay, <laughs> nay. You tweeted, "I love having a job. I just don't like going." Mm. Which is like, I feel like you love having a paycheck. Is what you're really saying there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, that's, you own it, honey. Own it. All
0: right. This next tweet comes from Mike Hunk. I just said your name terribly, Mike Hunt. <laughs> Up a name so simple. You want, oh, maybe Mike. he is a hunk. It might have worked. Mike is like, what the fuck? Read the tweet. Anyway, you tweeted, bitches, I am shaking. Lemonade was released on all streaming platforms three years after its original release date because lemons take approximately three years to grow after the tree is planted. I am shooketh. Beyonce, my girl, your mind. I stand a legend. That is incredible. That is just like, it's awesome.
1: Just think about it. Look it's at like that. what cool planning! What amazing! Just,
0: oh, so when, good. when do you think? She, I don't know. It's like when did she learn she that? Just, text? I mean, it's kind of incredible. Like, the, and I saw someone tweeting about this the other day. If you think about everything she rolled out this month, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. the all the streaming on the platforms. That's big. It's the Adidas deal, mm-hmm. Homecoming, a live album that no one saw coming, and it's just all flawless. She just consistently... April's very own. Oh April's very. God. own. I'll also just say this, like real quick. It was
1: number one, like number one trendy on Twitter mm-hmm. for like a day and a half. Mm-hmm. No, And that I'm that homecoming mm-hmm. to that, and then just releasing Lemonade, like literally Beyonce, number Phew. one. That demo of Sorry? She mm. knows what she's doing. Mad at Jay-Z all over again. <laughs> Content McNett, you tweeted, When I was 15, I got drunk in a hot tub with my two best friends and started crying because I didn't have a girlfriend. After three minutes of awkward crying, my friend grabbed me by my shoulders, looked me in my eyes, and said, you do really good front flips off of the diving board. <laughs> to which I say, support your friends. You don't need no man. You got good form. That's girl. right. You just do. <laughs> <laughs> just sorry
4: that you, got me. You hit that ball. Yeah. Perfect. All right.
1: It's not all about love.
0: Love yourself. Love your moves. Love what you're talented at. You do. <laughs> you don't need no man. Anyway, tweet of the, even our producers are laughing. I hear you, Emily. Okay, tweet of the day comes from Washington Post reporter Philip Bump. Listen, harassment is not. Funny, but this tweet is. Let's go. Philip tweeted Today, someone sent me hate mail in all caps, so I told him I had a disorder where I could not read capital letters. And he retyped the whole thing <laughs> in lowercase. And
1: we can we can bring him up real quick. We can see him kind
0: of side by side here. There it is. It's a, it's and he replied. He said, "I can't read it." Oh. So here's my thing. I love it. Was the the person who sent this reporter all this hate mail? Whatever. Like, is he just like a very polite harasser? Mm. Or if he or, or is he just like so intense? He was like, "Well, you gonna get out a Well, that's stuff. it's so, that man. It's, like, is it? Easy? If somebody
1: wants to be heard. Our one of our producers on the show, Caroline Moss, does this to people who harass her on Twitter. So She'll awesome. Re- often reply and say, I'm sorry, I can't read this. I can't see it. And it drives people crazy. Because they have your Smart. attention, which is what they want, right? right? They know okay. they have your attention, but oh my god, their message isn't getting across, yeah. and they go nuts. It's... That has to be like a paper cut. Just listen, through. always mute, always block, respect your help. But if you do have the time... I'm gonna try that. Have some fun. Thank you, Philip. Alright, coming up, I sit down with the award-winning actor, Elijah Wood, and producer Ant Timpson, star and creator of a new film called Come to daddy. I've been waiting to hear you say that. It's scary. It's not sexy. It's scary. (laughs) All right, anyways. (laughs) But up next, we are talking about, uh, I'm sorry, the new dress code policy for a high school in Houston, (laughs) Texas. Stay
0: tuned. Welcome back. Here's a tweet from Leslie Mack. Today, a high school in Houston, Texas, set this dress code for parents. The other photo is the principal who set the new rules. Reminder, you can be black and still create, write, enact, and enforce anti-black policies. Nothing going wrong in that school has any connections to parents wearing bonnets.
1: Mm. Mm. Ebony Magazine tweeted, the dress code policy comes just two weeks after reports that James Madison High School turned away Jocelyn Lewis, a
0: mother trying to enroll her daughter because of what she was wearing and what was on her head? Oh my gosh, and a couple of details here. Jocelyn Lewis, the parent, she showed up wearing a hair bonnet and like a shirt dress, you know, like mm-hmm. home stuff. Um, her daughter had been bullied at another school, so she's trying to enroll her daughter. You know, maybe she was stressed out, maybe it was very urgent. You know, she's just like, I'm just trying to get my child into yeah. a safe place. Um, and at one point, you know, they're told she's told she's dressed inappropriately, and she's like, what? Um, and she asked to see this dress code that they're talking about, which seems reasonable, and they called the police on her to escort her from campus. That is wild, but even because wilder because of what she was wearing. Because of what she was wearing, and because she asked a reasonable question. And what we later learned is that the dress code actually wasn't even written until the next day. It's dated the following day, so it didn't exist. It's wow. all a mess. So Leslie Mack joins us now to talk about it. Leslie, good morning. Good morning. How are you? We are doing all right. But you know what's not all right? This dress code. Listen.
5: Listen. This dress code is a mess. It's
0: such a mess. It's a mess code. It's a mess code. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you are too clever. Okay, here's a tweet from Ronnie Byrne about it. She tweeted, I want y'all all all to realize that nobody says anything about Becky wearing leggings Mm. and wet yoga hair to their kid's school. But folks are obsessed with policing black women's bodies. It's disturbing.
5: Uh, Does that point resonate with you? Absolutely resonates with me for so many reasons. One is that you can tell by the specificity in the dress code that they were targeting, that it's specifically to black women. Um, there's no mention of do-rags, for example, right? That would be something that potentially um, a dad might be wearing uh, or even a gender non-conforming parent might be wearing if they were just, you know, really chill and trying to take their child to school. And really this idea that there's a correlation between what a mother or a parent might be wearing as they drop their child off for school or come into the school to do something. It's just the data doesn't support it. It's just not true. And it's a specific policing of black women that we see enacted in policies, especially in school settings, over and over and over again. Um, I know for a fact that there's probably about 50, 11 different things that this school could be addressing that have nothing to do with what a parent might be wearing on their head or not wearing on their head. And I just think it's disturbing that this is where um, efforts within the school are being placed.
6: Yeah, I, I just
1: just thinking about what how difficult it is to be a parent right. and how you're going to have one of those rush days. You're just going to have one of those days where you're out and, you know, what you're putting the big jacket on over the pajama pants. And so it just it's so frustrating. Um, can we kind of widen the aperture, though? Can we talk a little bit? What is the history of black people and black women in general uh, being policed by dress codes throughout history?
5: We've been policed from our tops of our heads to the bottom of our feet throughout history um, in this particular country. And so we see that when we talk about the military ban on things like um, locks and things like braids and and things like that. So we already know we just saw um, a young man that had to have his um, his locks cut off in the middle of. his uh, wrestling match. So this is not an, uh, an abnormal thing for the way that we show up as black people being pleased. What is considered acceptable and what isn't considered acceptable is often um, the, bar- the only barometer used is whiteness. And we see that play out over and over and over again. What's disturbing to me in addition is this idea, you know, as a parent, the thing that a school should be concerned about is their child in school Did they get there on time? Were they fed before they got there? Are they being taken care of and clothed in a way that allows them to participate in school positively? None of those things have anything to do with a bonnet. So I'm just trying to figure out where this correlation exists and why policing Black women becomes the standard response to trying to create change anywhere in the world. That's all excellent
0: points. Well, Leslie, as always, uh, thank you for joining us this morning and for your tweets. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Well, I, I also wanted to add, to yeah. obviously class is a part of this as well. Mm-hmm. And just because the principal is Black does not mean the policy is anti-Black. It's mm-hmm. an anti-Black behavior. I want to say, as someone who is a teacher, listen, when you're a teacher working with students, particularly students who are struggling, you are so grateful to have parents who come to the school at all. Mm. like Parents who are thoughtful enough to show up, like literally to walk into the building mm. with their students, much less to and participate in the conversation, call you and ask about homeworks. What's disturbing about this in addition to everything else Leslie says is that the very students and parents you are trying to engage the most and reach out to, mm. this alienates them. Mm-hmm. And that puts the student's education in danger as well. A parent who's like, you know what, I just feel uncomfortable. That's not a space for me. That's not good for the student either. That's
1: not a space for right. me. Imagine yeah. being a parent and you feel like like the school oh. that your student, your child goes to is not a place for you. Well, okay. let's take it to the timeline. What did you get in trouble for wearing to school <laughs> when you were a kid? Let us know using the hashtag AM2DM. I feel like you might have a story. Well, listen, we're not going to spend all morning on it, but I won't lie. There is uh, there is very much a story in high school. I basically fought against the dress code that okay. I thought was, uh, you know, it. a little problematic my mm-hmm. senior year. I actually got the dress code thrown out. I was okay. very proud of that. It was a but- new principal that stepped into role that year, and I got him to cancel the dress code. The next year, he was fired for not having enough control over the students, and I felt very bad about it.
0: Oh, boy. No, you know how to come. Anyway, later <laughs> in the show, I'll be sitting down with the wonderful Ryan O'Connell. He's been a Twitter friend for some time, so I'm excited to meet him in person. He has a great new show on Netflix that he created and wrote special. Excited to talk to him.
7: <laughs> Here's a tweet from Jamila. So this makes me want to cry, but I do feel that slight sense of validation that comes from the recognition that if anyone cared about Black women, the world would be a better place. Thank you, Shafika Hudson and Unaya Sa Crockett. You did such important work. Rachel Hampton, Editorial Assistant at Slate, joins me now to talk about her piece, The Black Feminist Who Saw the Alt-Right Threat Coming. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I was so interested in your piece because it was one of those rare things where I read it and I felt guilty that I had no idea that this was (laughs) even happening. So for people like me who didn't know about any of this, can you explain what these women found on Twitter?
3: Yeah, so basically the weekend before Father's Day in 2014, this hashtag trended worldwide calling to end Father's Day. And a lot of the people tweeting in support of it looked like that all the avatars were black women. They seemed to be basically militant feminists of color who were kind of just going off the deep end. And so they found out that these women, Anasa Crockett and Shafika Hudson, basically realized that these women, these fake accounts, were pretending to be black women to kind of sow discord between black feminists and white feminists, and also to get conservatives to punch down at the online feminism movement.
7: And unfortunately, it worked. This, like you said, it trended worldwide. It was on Tucker Carlson's show. Ben Shapiro, who is a conservative pundit, tweeted about it. And they, these women basically saw this. They knew it wasn't legit. And they fought back and they created a hashtag to stop it. And what was that hashtag
3: called? Yeah, so the hashtag is called Your Super Showing. Shafika Hudson came up with it. And it's kind of rooted in this, like, black Southern slang. It's similar in vibes, like Bless Your Heart, where it's kind of sweet, but ultimately showing something that is, like you're pointing out someone's mistake. And so she started the hashtag, um, Anasa Crockett is the person who figured out that it was a 4chan hoax and that it was part of this larger um, movement by a lot of the people who ended up participating in Gamergate to discredit online feminism. And it was called Operation Lollipop, which was one of the most absurd details that I found out.
7: That is so absurd. And sorry, you guys, obviously the fire alarm's going off. That keeps me happening a lot lately, but we'll just pretend like it's not happening. So yeah, obviously after this came Gamergate, which is something that I feel like everyone has heard about and really was one of the first things we have seen online from this now very prevalent alt-right 4chan white supremacist movement. How was this though, this Father's Day hoax, a precursor to that?
3: Yeah, so it happened about three or four months before Gamergate. It was June and Gamergate started in August. And one of the main targets of Gamergate, um, Zoe Quinn, in her book about Gamergate, um, said that a lot of the tactics that were used against her were kind of honed through the End Father's Day um, hoax. And so a lot of the tactics that we see trolls and the alt-right use were used against black women before like, really anyone else.
7: But of course, no one really talked about it. No one really heard about it. Why do you think that is?
3: Well, I mean, to be quite honest, like the story isn't that hard to find. Like, if you follow a lot of these women, like Anasa Crockett and Shafika Hudson, if you follow people like Mickey Kendall or Sita Harry, they've been talking about this for years. Especially like during the 2016 election, as we started hearing more about trolls, especially when we realized Russia was kind of copying this homegrown American trolling. And then around Charlottesville, when people stopped saying it was just online and that it could end up being very violent. Um, if you follow any of them, they've been talking about it forever. And so I think it kind of comes down to who people in media are following and who media, people in media are paying attention to. And that's so
7: true. I mean, I feel like people in media paid a lot of attention to GamerGate, and they paid a lot of attention when it started affecting, you know, people who were not POC. Mm-hmm. But these women had been fighting it for, you know, two or three years at this point. So I saw a lot of people online really congratulating you on finally writing, I would say, the most definitive story about this hashtag and this movement. What are some of the responses you've gotten?
3: It's been overwhelmingly positive, which I was honestly not prepared for. I had shut down a lot of my accounts because I was preparing to get trolled. um, And it hasn't happened yet, so that's great. But a lot of the responses have been very much along the lines of, either I've never heard about this, or "Um, I'm glad mainstream media is finally paying attention. Like, this has been a precursor to a lot of the things that we've seen happen over the past, like, four or five years.
7: Yeah, and— Another thing that I found really interesting was these women, you know, I believe one of them is in school, right? These were not, you know, like Mm high-powered media figures. These were women who just were smart and could follow a trail of breadcrumbs back to this hateful thing. And in 2016, Shafiqo tweeted, Reminder, I've pitched how Mia and Anaisa created and implemented your slip is showing to multiple paying outlets since 2014. Not a bite. So yeah, they have been trying to get the mainstream media to pay attention to this for years. I mean, five years, that's insane. Do you think that maybe going into the next election where we can assume this kind of stuff is going to keep happening, that the mainstream media is going to pay attention?
3: I do think they are going to start paying attention. They started paying attention more to the concept of trolling when a lot of white journalists were getting targeted because, I mean, as we saw, they're very anti-Semitic and there there was kind of just like a lot of buildup around trolling in the 2016 election when journalists couldn't post opinions that were negative about Trump without getting dogpiled by these anonymous people. And I think that in the years since, people have talked more about it and it's very much at the forefront of people's mind. I've never seen so many people call Twitter, like, the worst place in the world since, like, 2016. And so I think that people are paying more attention now. But I don't know if they would have noticed your slip is showing had, like— Shafika's pitched this multiple times to multiple places, and it's kind of just now getting airtime.
7: Yeah, I think that she definitely should be a follow follow Thursday, follow Friday, early follow Friday (laughs) for all of our viewers because, you know, she just did this on her own. It's Mm -hmm. very, very incredible. Thank you so much, Rachel, for coming on and talking about your piece. Be sure to read it. We are tweeting it out now. Up next, we're talking to Ryan O'Connell, the creator and star of Special on Netflix.
0: Hello, my queens. Fuck fire alarms. Here's a tweet from Lena Waithe. <laughs> special on Netflix is quite divine. I binged this beautiful and authentic series in one day. Get your lives. I love it. I'm joined now by Ryan O'Connell, Twitter friend, uh, and the creator and star of Special. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me. I,
8: I hate doing that to tweet that. Good. She's very expensive. <laughs> yeah, she is. I've done that a few know, times it's myself. It's
0: budget. It's like, gosh, got to, you know, break <laughs> it into installments. Anyway, <laughs> Special is based on your life. Yes. So let's
8: take a quick look. I have cerebral palsy. What's that? It's a disability in in the brain manifested through muscular and coordination. Okay, now you're just being a drama
7: queen. I'm Ryan, the intern. Listen, Cheyenne, Ryan. I need viral content now.
8: I don't know what I'd write about. Oh, I was
7: hit by a car. Everybody,
2: come hug Ryan. He was hit by a car and now he's a weird sad lip forever.
8: Thank you so much.
2: Okay,
7: that's great, that's enough, thank you. Um,
2: okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the boss is so
0: deliciously terrible. Oh yeah. Okay, so and I I love the kid just screaming it in the first episode. Um, okay, so the show is taken from your real life. Yes. Um, what's it like to be getting feedback from people like Lena Waithe?
8: It's crazy. I this this show took four years to get made, mm. and so I felt like I was just working in a vacuum. And okay. it was sort of like, is this like garbage? Like I didn't know. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was just there was no feedback. You just mm. are making something, and you're hoping it's good. And so to get the feedback we're getting, it's just, it's very surreal, honestly. It is. Well, so a lot of
0: attention has been uh, on the sex scene.
8: Yes. Surprise, gay people have sex, people with cerebral palsy
0: have sex. It's true. What do you think we're doing? I know, what do you, exactly. How do you think we're doing? Okay, here's my question. As a hoe, Mm -hmm. who loves a good sex scene, is it as fun to do on set
8: as it is to watch? Um, I wouldn't say it's, like, in my top 10 or top 4,000 or top million. <laughs> okay. But, um, no, I will say, like, you know what? Okay, so it's doing that sex scene was, like, mm-hmm. definitely, like, LOL. Like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> but Brian Jordan Alvarez was so amazing. Mm-hmm. And, like, I feel like also, like, what made that scene so good is, like, everything you're seeing, it's like a documentary. Like, Mm -hmm. everything that was happening, I was really feeling, like, on my face. Like, she's not that good of an actress, honey. (laughs) Like, she's no Meryl, honey. This is my first job, okay? What you see is what you get. Yeah, what you see is what you get, honey. And I think that in the, the, the sex scene, I think it worked in our favor because I really was that uncomfortable and I really was, like... A queer in headlights the entire time. A queer so, but Brian was like my sex scene whisperer, and I think he really guided me. Say more. And was, well, no, I mean he, he was just really generous. Like okay. he just was really good at like. Meeting me where I needed to be and like ushering me out of the scene too because that was the hard part of like shooting a show is like you're having this really intense moment and they're like cut and then like uh-huh. an actor like look at this cat video you know what I mean and you're like <laughs> and just, you're like, like, you're, like down, you're literally like, like, Natalie and Bruglia torn <laughs> lying naked on the floor like and you're like please I need a lifeline I need a lifeline and Brian really gave me a lifeline and was like really good at like ushering me out of the scene I don't know it was That's really great. good I,
0: yeah listen as someone who hasn't shot my own sex yeah. scene yet I get yes. it yeah, yeah yeah I get it yeah um, so you you do you do put a lot of yourself into it right this is based on your own experiences right. drawn from your books was there anything in in doing scenes that was that was surprisingly uncomfortable you know like maybe it's one thing to write about it's
8: another thing to then have to do a scene I think it was all sort of uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) It was, babe. Okay. So here's the thing people can prepare you only so much for doing this, okay? Okay. Because it's not like a relatable thing. So so people can say, like, do your vitamin B12 shots, get lots of rest, like grueling shooting days, and you're like, check, 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 Uh check. But no one like prepares you for like what it's like to play a younger, more insecure, damaged version of yourself. Like, it fucks with you. It just does. And I feel like, you know, I felt like I was like, I'm 32 now. I'm in a loving relationship. Like, this character is so far from who I am. Mm -hmm. And then I felt like by playing him, I felt myself kind of regressing, kind of Mm -hmm. backsliding. And it was really hard. Again, Mm -hmm. because she's not like a trained actress, like I was like really still in the scene. Okay, because you don't don't know how to distance yourself. I don't know how to do it. So how did you,
0: I I mean, when working on my book, there were moments like writing, like it would change my dreams. Like if I was working on a chapter about my mom, I would start dreaming about my mom. How did you pull yourself back out of that
8: intensity? I just, like, took lots of baths on the weekends. (laughs) I got addicted to bath bombs, LOL. Shout out to Lush. Oh yeah, and I just love, like, first of all, like, baths are such high drama. They just (laughs) really are. You're just literally, like, you're literally, like, in a, like, pool of hot water in your own filth. Like, that is so lit. Like, that is no chill. Baths have no chill whatsoever. And so I literally would just, like, take to the bath on the weekends and, like, play, like, some shoegaze and, like, be like, anyways, putting the pieces of my brain back together. I think when we were shooting, there was just no time for me to even process what was going on. Mm -hmm. I just knew it felt really strange. Okay. But there was no time to really, like, unpack it, honey. Like, it was packed to the brim. There was no unpacking. Okay. So So the weekends were a little, like, and then then when we stopped shooting, that was its own, like, crazy come down and, like, weird to go from go, 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 go to, like, laying in bed, mm-hmm. like, you know, listening to snail mail. Like, it's, it
0: yeah, it it it's intense. intense. Yeah, it's intense. Well, um, it's been a delight also seeing tweets from other people with disabilities, with yes. palsy, talking about what the show means to you. Do you have any
8: responses that have really stood out to you? I mean, they're all amazing. It's really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I have to be honest with you. It's really, really overwhelming, like the sheer volume that we're getting. And it's it's incredible because I know that when I when we're, when I was making this, I really felt the burden of, of representation mm-hmm. because I was like, okay, I'm one of the first people to do this. Right. And I know that my story is very unique and specific. And mm-hmm. I know that I can't speak for the whole disabled community. And I'm really worried that someone might expect me to, mm-hmm. you know, because like, it's, but everyone has been so incredible. Oh, and, and no one's been like, this isn't nice story. Like, I don't relate. I don't understand. You know what I mean? Because, like, that can happen sometimes, honey. Like, when there's, like, the one seat at the table, like, that seat has to speak for every goddamn seat. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. And, like, I just feel like everyone has been so amazing and so just, like, I, I don't know. So that, to me, I felt like such a relief taken off my shoulders because I really was... I wanted disabled people to feel seen and heard from this show even though even if it wasn't like exactly to their experience. Yeah, their specific experience. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you,
0: it was interesting. There's a scene with your physical trainer, mm-hmm. uh, physical therapist, uh, and you said something that actually threw me and I was yeah. like, oh, I am glad I'm going to get to ask yeah. this question. Yeah. You disca- describe... Seeing someone who's wheelchair-bound... Yes. Um, ...and your physical trainer is not... Yes. Um, ...and you describe feeling that you're basically between two worlds. You're like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not in the world of people who don't have disabilities. Right. And I'm not in the world of people who have, you know, especially visible, you know, disabilities like being in a wheelchair. Right. In front, and
8: it's just, it's odd. What, What is the
0: oddness there? What what makes you uncomfortable?
8: In it, this? Just, it just feels like you don't belong anywhere. Mm. It really feels like you exist in this constant in-between space. And I feel like mm. growing up, that was really amplified for me because I feel like my life was divided into like having Insane surgeries, like everyone, like in the summertime, be like. Anyways, let's go to zoo camp, and I would be like busy getting surgeries and like being in a literal full body cast. (laughs) So like that was my that was my journey. Mm -hmm. It's growing up. So it was either that, and it was like being in hospitals and having surgeries and being in physical therapy, or it was being with all my friends who were able bodied. Mm -hmm. I didn't know any disabled people growing up. Mm -hmm. I didn't, and I feel like my parents. Really, I understand why they they just wanted me to be with kids, like normal kids, quote-unquote. But I feel like in a way that fucked me up because I feel like I wasn't really exposed to other disabled kids. Mm. So mm. I just felt, I don't know. And it's, by the way, it's a space that I still feel like I, I occupy. Okay. I still feel like I exist in the in-between. Mm. And I still struggle with it. I mean— Making this show is incredibly therapeutic and cathartic, but I think that as long as we live in like an ableist society, I think mm-hmm. I'm always going to struggle with internalized ableism and a certain level of discomfort surrounding my disability and all that stuff. It's well, it's a journey. It's yeah. not like presto, I'm cured. Right. Like honey, like right. it's a it's going to be like yeah. a lifelong yeah. thing. Because it's not you, it's us. Yeah. Um, well, one last
0: question. Um, you know, the the show also deals with internet content. Yeah. And, <laughs> you, know, you and I know our ways. <laughs> Lol. BuzzFeed. <laughs>
8: <laughs> 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 OMG.
0: Viral, 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 viral. Um, I always hate when people say, I'm going viral. I'm like, oh, I mean, it's like what honey, I I know, I vessel? know. Anyway, um, you talk about uh, people using their trauma yeah. um, for clicks, for yeah. content, you know, for coins or whatever. Right. That's something you and I... Very few coins, too. <laughs> it's like $2. For what? For what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and you and I have dealt with this yes. um, a lot in different ways. Yes. How have you or how do you write about your experiences, difficult, sometimes traumatic experiences, mm-hmm. while staying in control.
8: Well, that's why I'm so horny for the TV format. Okay. TV format, you can really make things as personal and emotional as you want, mm-hmm. but they're set in a fictionalized world. Mm. So they don't, I'm not beholden to the truth because okay. again, it's fiction. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I think that after writing nonfiction and memoir for so long, I got so, it's so limiting. It's a limiting genre. You can only go to, like so far. Mm-hmm. And I think um, TV mixes my favorite things, which is, you know, I can be a personal but also I can explore other areas Mm. that I've never personally experienced Mm -hmm. and I can do a whole subplot with my mom Mm -hmm. that I'm really interested in and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, I think TV is really liberating in that way. And I'm never gonna write a book ever again. (laughs) <laughs> you know, honey. It's you awful. fucking know. It
0: is literally awful. I'm working no, on my acknowledgements page right now, and yes. I just it is unnecessarily stressful at yes. every stage of the process. I know it's my awful. Eye, my eyes are twitching. I'm just like, <laughs> Don't do it. Come yeah, back. No, come I back, know, come no, back. I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so glad you found the format that makes you happier. Yes, uh, yes. and, yes. and richer. You. And
8: oh, okay. look, bitch, you better writers <laughs> go <Guild> minimums <laughs> on me. Roger Scales. Screaming. <laughs> I love you. I love you
0: so much. Oh my God. Ryan, thank you for gracing us with thank your presence. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Okay. Special, of course, is on Netflix. Stream it now. Oh, sorry, I'm still laughing. What? what you You're so silly. I'm like, <laughs> Isaac is sitting down with Elijah Wood and Aunt Timson. I just love you like, and coins. I'm rich. It's great. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not, yeah, okay. We're true.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Welcome back. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with actor Elijah Wood and director and producer Ant Timpson, the star and creator of a new film called Come to Daddy. That's right. Daddy. I'm, it's hard for me to say the title of this film
4: without saying Come to Daddy. <laughs> It's not one of those films. It has many connotations. It does have many connotations. The first connotations. thing I think of is Aphex Twin. Yeah, right? The, That's the first thing I think of. I think that comes to mind as well. It would have been very on the nose if we would have put that in the movie, but it's such a great song.
6: There is an Aphex connection in the film, but I not I'm not sure whether you know it. Yet. I don't know if I no. know. Share
1: it with the audience. What's the connection?
6: It's a it's a spoiler. I can't. We can't get into it. Oh, but there right. is there is for fans. Afik twins fan. There is something in there for them. Oh, there's but a little Easter- But not what they expect. Obviously, with "Come to Daddy" as the title.
1: Not actually the song. What, what give us for
6: those? No spoilers, of course. But what what is the kind of the general theme of this "Come to Daddy"? It's a thriller. Mm-hmm. So it's not a porno. So it's, <laughs> we, we should just clear there. Yes, straight
4: appreciate away. That, So appreciate it's, a, that. it's
6: a thriller um, about a son who, an estranged son. He hasn't seen his dad for thirty years. He gets a letter. Uh, to go visit him and have a reunion in a very remote seaside cabin, mm. um, and it's it goes a little south, it, it goes a little
4: awry, as we say. Yeah, I think little uh. is an understatement. <laughs> yeah. Elijah, like, what about the script? What drew you to it? Oh my God, so many things all at once. Uh, it was the man who sent it to me, um, answered dear friend, and I've known him for years, and we produced a movie together called The Greasy Strangler, yeah. and. Uh, So, the endorsement of, A, the script, and also the fact that this was something that was personal to Ant. It was Mm. sort of based on some degree of truth, not uh, at what happens in our movie, but some degree of truth was the nugget of inspiration. Uh, And it was written by Toby Harvard, who wrote The Greasy Strangler. So, there were all these kind of elements that I loved already, Mm. and then I read the script, and it was... It was this thing that constantly surprises you as you read it, that you you have an expectation of where things are gonna go, and it's constantly subverting your expectation and then paying these things off as it goes along. And it was just so tight and so intricately like sort of constructed And I love the character. I love the resolution. It has this sort of emotional resolution, but it goes through this gnarly kind of genre exercise to get you there that's a lot of fun. Mm. It just spoke to me on a lot of levels. That's awesome. And it felt a little bit, like you said, like getting the gang back together. A bit like that, too. And,
1: yeah. and could you tell, tell a little bit? And to about-
4: support him directing his first feature film as well, which was... Which is a big deal. Congratulations. Big deal. And and yeah. like Elijah said, there's a personal
1: element
6: to it, right? Uh, yeah, there is. Your father's death.
1: Can you talk it's, a little bit about that? A
6: little bit about it, yeah. So it comes from a really dark place, but a very sort of cathartic place. By, it's a love story to my dad, mm. which is weird because when you see the film, you'll think, there's something wrong with this guy. But <laughs> I, I, um, I ended up spending a week with my father's corpse in a house, um, as you do. And had this sort of really incredible time with sort of like laying in wait. Mm. He'd he'd gone away, been embalmed, come back, and then um, it was for us kids to grieve with the body. And I Mm. I just ended up having this um, very surreal, strange time with him, which was great, but it also, I started having these weird dreams about, did I really know my dad? And then sort of strangers turned up during the week that paid respects and was like, who is this guy? He's got mm. all these, this crazy history that I don't even know about. And then so I started like percolating ideas just to really get through what a strange moment in time it was. And then at the very end of it, like a few weeks after that, I sort of wrote to Toby the writer and said, man, I think I've got an idea for a movie. And that's how it sort of all kicked underway. And that's you so all cool. started getting working on it. Uh, Elijah, I gotta
1: ask, how was your relationship with your father? Uh,
4: it's good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a hesitant goodbye, man. Good. I mean, we, we go deep here on AM to DM. Yeah, I mean, my, my parents divorced when I was like 15 or 16, mm. so very much part of my life when I was young. Mm. Less so now, but on good terms. Was working on such a
1: father heavy movie? Like, kind of did it bring some stuff up for you? I mean, it just seems like you guys are willing to go there.
6: Well, I was. (laughs) But um, no, I mean, everyone, I I don't know about, I'm speaking for everyone, but fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, there's Mm. just, there's so much, can I say shit? Yeah, there's a lot of baggage there. There's a lot of baggage there in everyone's lives, and I think that's why there's some sort of cathartic release when you see these sort of projects, even though they're housed in genre formats, they kind of speak to real sort of primordial ties, family ties, so... Yeah. It, it really brings up emotion. You guys, you mentioned it already, you worked on the Greasy Strangler together. Yes. yes. Was this different?
1: Was this <laughs> yeah. they, have, you, have you seen that film? I mean, just the title. Of, I mean, listen, you guys got away with words. Greasy yeah. Strangler, come to daddy. There's a lot
4: less dick in this movie.
6: <laughs> yeah, there's nonstop dick in that film. I tried to get Elijah's dick
4: out. It's a very different it, movie.
1: It's expensive. It's a very different, so was it different to work on it then?
4: Uh, On this versus Greasy Strangler? Well, yeah, for so many reasons. Um, I mean, obviously, we were producing and supporting a different director's vision on the Greasy Strangler. This, uh, I was acting in it, supporting his vision as a director. Um, We had the great sense of the familiarity as friends working together, Mm. but it it was very much in support of something that felt very personal. Mm -hmm. I was very conscious of that as an actor, that I was servicing certainly this kind of genre exploration of what had happened mm-hmm. to Ant that was that, that took things to an extreme. But I was also conscious of the fact that there was a lot of what was in my character that he had experienced mm. and being sensitive to that on an emotional level. So there's, you know, there's but some you- depth
6: to what... Elijah had to carry the whole film. Like, honestly, he had to carry me as a 1st actor. <laughs> oh, <director. no. laughs> and as well as the entire film, he's in every frame for every second, which is exhausting yeah. for an actor. So it was a lot for him to do.
4: So it's always it's very... At, at times, because there's, you know, the, the first act of the film is almost solitary. The, mm-hmm. My character's alone for a lot of it. Um, and there'd be days on end that it was just me yeah. and the crew... Uh, as if we were doing some kind of play and then a, at the end of the week another actor would come in and we'd have a whole other scene it was like oh we can breathe there's <laughs> yeah. something else like, going I'm on actually have
1: somebody to talk yeah 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 you. absolutely let me it is a lot of work though right you it it you did lord of the rings <laughs> I, you're doing so many incredible experimental genre films you're really putting yourself out there this is, seems to be what you do now Is that because Lord of the Rings just made you so rich you can do what you want now?
4: (laughs) Uh, If only, sir. (laughs) If only. Uh, No. No, it's purely... um, I think I'm always chasing what I want to be a part of creatively, and Mm. and I think that is not exclusive to small, weird genre movies, Mm. and it's also not exclusive to bigger things either. I think it's, it's sort of wherever the story that's interesting is being told is where I want to be. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't necessarily matter the the size or scale or, or or what audience it's for or whether it's genre or not. I think I'm just, if there's something that seems interesting based on the filmmaker or the writer that, that will be an exciting thing to be a part of, that's what I want to be a part that's of. That's what draws. Yeah.
1: It. All right, so one last question for you guys. You got Grecia Strangler? You got to come to daddy.
4: <laughs> you guys gonna get the gang back
1: together. Is there I'm something? I'm sure we will do something again but, together.
6: There's obviously come to mommy if this works. Right, the yeah. there you go. So, you gotta do the sequel. We actually don't there know a, the mom yeah, character. Yeah, exactly. There is a prequel idea. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. Right.
1: There's something that. Would you want to like write something like, it's? you put Ant starring? Is how? There something you wanna Look, look you at play? this place. Well, I would certainly
6: love to direct. Yeah,
4: right. I well, would love to direct something. Yeah, We absolutely. tried to get you
6: to direct ages ago.
4: For ABCs. For ABCs.
6: That's ABC's Ace of, of,
4: yeah. Yes. yeah which, which was
6: a producer
5: which
1: you on. believe is one of the things that inspired Game of Thrones to kill off all their characters absolutely they yeah. totally
6: ripped us off and they totally <laughs> ripped us
1: off alright well gentlemen thank you so much for coming <laughs> in you, and man. talking about dads with me I really appreciate it <laughs> for sure it. Uh, listen up Come to Daddy makes its world premiere today at the Tribeca Film Festival up next side and I are reading some of your tweets congratulations Welcome back. Joe Lee tweeted, this interview with Ryan O'Connell is galvanizing.
0: Affirming. Iconic. What a conversation. Such a delight. And we just kept talking right on. <laughs> there was so much, yeah. It was such a delight. And he's just so funny. He's so funny and he talks so fast. So you have, you're like, wait, did you say horny for TV? <laughs> Don't sure move did. On. Come back. Sure Come did. Back. Sure I just did. love him. Watch the show. Also, follow him on Twitter. Buy his but Like, he mm. just has a wonderful personality, and you just you get that consistent love. And I don't know.
1: It was really wonderful conversation. Doing,
0: Doing good stuff. Um, we asked you, oh, right, Biden. <laughs> Do you know the first, I kinda line, the first line of his uh, email? I saw someone, a woman tweeted that the first line is like, all men are created equal. And she was like, you lost me at hello. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like,
3: that's the
0: first that you're going with? Anyway, uh, we asked you, of course, what impact do you think Joe Biden is going to have on the 2020 race? A lot going on. How does he factor in? Lily says, I am feeling a little overwhelmed with so many candidates announcing their run. Biden running is just another candidate fighting for my attention right now. Mm. Yeah, which is, and I'm feeling you. Oh, I'm feeling you. But also I'm like, Stacy Abrams, what are you doing? I think there's a lot of people having
1: that thought right now. She I will said, say. I, I feel like, didn't
0: she say it was going to
1: be mid-April? She said late April, early May. Oh, really? Wow. I think it keeps getting pushed back. Okay. I think there was a time when it was late and then, March, And then
0: by the way, people and shit. I do think like it's that. about 20... 20- I think we're up to 20 now. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. I understand a lot of people also ran against Trump, like from the the yeah. Republican Party yeah. as well. But this still feels definitely more than this. <laughs> do more, like do l- you think more people run for president now than used to? I'm, I don't know. I'm not a historian. We'd
1: have to have somebody come on and ask. Well, listen, we wanted to know about a time you got in trouble for breaking the dress code in school. Aaron Cunningham says, wearing Juicy Couture <laughs> sweatpants that said
0: Juicy Across the ass. Okay. Ah, I would have sent you to the principal. The late 90s, (laughs) early 2000s. Oh, really? Juicy juicy didn't go? Yeah. One of my favorite things. So I taught at the school, I taught at students wore um, uniforms. And it's very stressful trying to get students to stick to their uniforms, as you can see. Yeah! because that is look at you don't rant don't rant mm. one of my favorite things is one of my students is now living her life and is quite happy it was obvious she was going to be a butch lesbian like come on she was in the ninth grade and I was like girl I see you and like at least once a month she would try to come in with her and she was Latina her hoop earrings and wearing like the Timberland boots and I'd be like girl like I get it I see the vision but you know you can't do this See, and and would you send her to the principal's office yes I would on the side of the oppressor (laughs) on the side of the be a oh,
3: oh,
0: wow. That's right. Whatever. Okay, before we go, we have a new Lower Third t-shirt poll uh, that you can vote for today. I'm not going to tell you what I voted for. Don't want to influence it. Uh, your options are Too Bad You Can't Pay Your Student Loans with Bad Takes. Mm. Lord knows, Barry Weiss keeps trying. <laughs> uh, welcome to the dystopia, and get rid of the Nazis, please. What a polite one. Wow. All right, well we of course will reveal the winner tomorrow.
1: All right, thank you of course to our guest Tarini Party, Leslie Mack, Rachel Hamilton, Stephanie McNeil, Ryan O'Connell, Aunt Timpson, and Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood's eyes are so blue. They're so blue. So you get blue. lost in them. I'm shook every you time. You get lost. And when, when they left, he was like, I should've asked you about your dad. I was like, you yeah, should've, I was ready. I was ready
0: to talk dads the whole time. <laughs> (laughs) Therapy was good, huh? All right, (laughs) well, Isaac is off tomorrow, but I will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. with friend of the show, Alex Berg. I'm excited to see her and figure out what color her hair is now. It's different constantly. (laughs) Have a great... Damn, it's only Thursday. It's only Thursday. You're almost there. You're almost there.